Every four years, our nation encounters a week that's incredibly important. This is one of those weeks. In case you didn't know it, Tuesday is Election Day. And important day is people from all across our country will go to the polls to vote for a president, a vice president, for senators and for congressmen and women. They'll go to the polls and they'll vote on issues that are on the ballot questions. And some of you read my column this past week. And, and uh, out of the 405 that we sent out, 151 got open. That means the majority of you didn't read it. So uh, we'll give you that, that heads up. And, uh, but, um, you know, so, uh, you know, you do the math there and there. But, uh, you know, there, there. So we're, we're going to have a moment just to pray for our nation. But all right, there we go. All right. This thing's um, we're going to take a moment here just to pray for our nation, but I, I want to take an opportunity to make you aware of the ballot questions that are there, for those of you who didn't read things. One, one of the ballot questions this year is an issue of commerce, and I'm really not going to make any statements about that. And in fact, I think they've already decided that question legislatively, so I think the ballot question at this point is, is, is unimportant because they already decided what they're going to do about it. But the, the second one is called death with dignity, and the essence of the ballot question is to allow a physician, as long as he gets a confirmation from a second physician uh, and the patient requests it, uh, a physician can provide life-ending medications to their patient as long as they've been diagnosed with a terminal illness that will kill them within six months. That's one of the ballot questions. Um, and um, as you read in my column this week, uh, is, is the ballot question that I do not support we do not have a position as a church because we've never asked the membership to take a vote on a particular position. But personally, I stand against it. And for one thing, I think our, our physicians are already doing a lot to ease the pain of those who are facing terminal illnesses. Secondly, I don't think our medical profession is quite yet infallible. And I think life is just too precious. Uh, and, and given that God is the author of life, I think if we're going to make a mistake, we should always err on the side of life. And so I stand against that, and we'll vote against this this week. The, the second, the third ballot question is for the legalization for medical purposes of marijuana. Uh, this seems to have some growing momentum in our society. More and more states are voting to go this direction. Um, I, I personally also stand against it and plan to vote no. Uh, first of all, I, the, the value, the medical value of marijuana is already available in prescription form by pill without us having to make it legal for people to grow marijuana in their own backyards. Uh, secondly, I, I, you know, there's just enough stuff in our society already that's legal, that people can use to make the wheels come off of their own lives without us adding another one to the arsenal. And so I just, I just think it's a bad idea, personally, and I think it's just another resource that the evil one can use uh, to... Uh, to, to, to destroy people's lives. And so I, I stand against it and plan to vote against it. And, you know, um, you know, as a church or as an individual, as a pastor, I'm, I'm certainly on good legal ground to state our position on legislative issues. But when it comes to who to vote for, that's really between you and your God. All I want to encourage you today to do is go vote. Tuesday, go vote. Get up a half hour early and go to the polls or take a long lunch break or or stay late on your way home, or get out a few minutes early, whatever, just go vote. Uh, no matter who you vote for, just go vote. I think it is our 
It's really our divine obligation as believers in this society uh, to go and to vote. So let's just take a moment and pray and pray for our nation as we have this important week. And then we'll get into God's word today. God, I thank you for the fact that you have placed us in a nation like America. We could have been born in many other societies around the world, places where the freedom to exercise our opinions, to a certain extent to self-select our own leaders, and to live in a democracy just isn't possible in many places in the world. God, our nation goes to the polls this week. And uh, God, we pray for your wisdom for each and every single voter as they step into the voting booth. God, whether it be here in Massachusetts where they're determining what's going to be legal in two very, very important areas, to choosing our leadership that's going to influence and shape our country for the next four years and, and possibly for much longer after that. So, God, we pray today uh, that come Tuesday uh, that the individual that you desire to use uh, in the White House in the Senate, in the Congress. God, that those would be the people who are elected. And Father, we pray that we would just be faithful with our civic privilege and our civic obligation to go and vote. God, we celebrate again uh, the nation that we are a part of. There's a lot of things that are wrong with it. There's a lot of sin that originates from within it but it's still a place where we can freely worship you. And for that, we celebrate today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. I'm having a wardrobe malfunction. This is going to drive me crazy, so I'm going to just go ahead and do that. All right. Get that right out of the way. There we go. We're ready. You know, when I was in seminary, we, Christina and I were living in Texas, and we were addicted you know, last week Rod was sharing with us some of his addictions. Well, our addiction was we were addicted to the television show Dallas. You remember that? It was when Dallas was on, we had to be home, you know. In fact, there's, there's only two television shows in my entire life that I've ever been addicted to. Dallas, who shot JR and all that good stuff, you know, and Star Trek Next Generation. So now you have a sense of how much spiritual growth your pastor needs to go through. You know, my wife has recently developed an addiction to Downton Abbey, which is a, uh, one of those uh, English shows, you know. It's, yes, it is. Certainly it is. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. Do you know when the first episode of the new season is going to happen? Yes, I do. So it's an addiction. <laughs> All right. There we go. <laughs> but Dallas, you know, was like an evening soap opera. So they always started out their session, their, the, each show with previously on Dallas, right, you know? Well, as we get back into faith the way it should be, I want to have a little segment on previously on faith the way it should be. I want, I want to look at kind of where we are, and I think it's really important to bring these things into perspective when we come to the passage we're going to study today at the end of chapter 2. I'm not going to read all of chapter 1 and chapter 2 to you again, but let me just kind of rewind it and play it through fast forward and give you some of the things that we've already learned. In the first 11 verses of chapter 1, we have an account of the, of the final encounters of Jesus with the disciples before he was brought, ascended into heaven. 
And what we learned in that experience was that to be filled with the Spirit means that life is all about Jesus. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when you receive that power, you're going to be my witness. So being empowered by the Holy Spirit, having the presence of God within us, the primary transformation it has, the primary gift that it brings to us is the ability to make life all about Jesus. Then we went on to this very interesting interlude where the disciples are kind of in that in-between period. It's about a week to ten days where they're waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which happened 50 days after the crucifixion. So it's like day 43. And, um, and so they've got a week to go. And they're gathered together and they're in prayer. And they also feel this leadership of the Lord to prepare themselves to be the foundation of the church. And they express that through electing or identifying whom it is that God has prepared to take Judas' place among the twelve apostles. We have the interesting casting of lots, and it falls to, and that kind of thing. And, and what we saw in that text was the fact that in order to be the church, we have to prepare ourselves. We don't get to be the institution that changes the world, that God des- desires to use to change the world, without preparing ourselves. And that's, that's one of the reasons why we plan and we train and we teach and we try to enlist and mobilize because it's, it's all about being prepared to be used of God to change the world. Then we got to the beginning of chapter 2. Kind of the section really probably almost all of us were waiting for, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we see the Holy Spirit come into the life of the disciples as a fulfillment of the, pro, of the promises of God through the prophet Joel and through the teaching of Jesus. And we see that the Spirit comes in an audible fashion, it comes in a visible fashion, and it comes in a manifest fashion. It sounds like a rushing wind, and these tongues of flame divide and settle on every single one of those who are gathered in that upper room experience. And immediately, every single one of them is just filled with joy, and they're speaking the marvelous things of God in a language they've never learned before. And the mission begins. And one of our takeaways from that was that the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when it, when it makes our lives all about Jesus, there ought to be scripted into our lives this wow factor. You know, one of the things that we see over and over again in, in those few verses at the beginning of chapter 2 is that the people were just amazed. You know, the, 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 the people standing out in the street and they're hearing the roar and then they're hearing these these uneducated Galileans speaking languages that they had never learned before, and they don't know what's up, and they are just amazed. And there ought to be an element to our lives that just creates wonder in those who are around us. Then last week, we saw Peter's sermon. They started to accuse the disciples of, well, maybe they just had a little bit too much to drink, you know, and so they're just babbling on and, you know, and, and they were trying to write it off to a worldly explanation. And Peter said, no, 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 that's not the way it works. He said, this is exactly what God promised through Joel. And the message that we have for you is that Jesus is the Messiah and he is Lord. And he goes through and he proves in his sermon that Jesus is Messiah, He is God's anointing, He's the one that God sent, and that He is the Lord. He's ascended, and He is now in a position of authority that He can send us the person of the Holy Spirit to be in our lives. 
And what that means is that every single person has a choice to make. Every single person has a decision to make. What, what must we do? The crowd asked. And Peter says, you have to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, all of that is important to understand the passage that we're going to come to today. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to the end of chapter 2 with me. We're going to pick up with verse 41. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, it's on page uh, 926. There we go, 926. We're going to be looking at just the final verses, verses 41 through 47 of the second chapter of Acts. This is one of at least three summary verses that we're going to get from Luke as he tells us about the early church. There's another one at the end of chapter 4. There's another one in the middle of chapter 5. And he tells us about what life was like among the believers in those early days. What, what a great picture that we have here of, way, of the way faith can be among a people of God at this very beginning. And, and so he gives us a summary. This is a summary that probably characterized the church for, for more than a year. Certainly for months. This, what we're going to read here isn't like they were having one week of special revival services and then they kind of went back to life the way it was. This, this, this went on for, for months and months and months. This was what their life was like. Follow along while I read aloud for us. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. I wonder how long it took them to baptize 3,000 people. So anyway, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Now, it seems here in verse 43, it begins to enlarge a little bit about what that actually looked like. And he says, So then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now, all the believers were together and had everything in common. So they sold their possessions and property and distributed proceeds to all as anyone had a need. And every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day, the Lord added to them those who were being saved. So we see here in these verses, and and, and we're trying to answer this question again of, of the what from the passage. What does the Bible actually say? What Luke intends to do here is says, you know what? As, I, as we replay all the testimonies that I've got about what life was like in those initial months as the brand new church in Jerusalem, he said, this is, this is what it was like. This is, these were the characteristics that emerged in the life of the people. So this is a summary statement that describes the character of the early church for a number of months. And, you know, I, I, I want to share with these with you in, in a couple of different ways. So in your worship outlines, you have take one and take two, all right? So I want to work through take one, and then I want to back up and come through take two. Now, take one's a little bit more just straightforward. Straight two has a little bit more of my personal interpretation or slant of what was happening in the life of, of the church. And, and the very first thing that you say is that what characterized this church, and again, I want you to keep in mind, does this happen at Hope Chapel? Is this, is this like most of the churches I've ever been a part of in my journey? 
The, fir the first characteristic that you see here is that of awe. Th there was just a sense of, of awe. You know, they, a great fear came over all of them. You know, and there were many wonders and signs that were being performed. Uh, some of your texts have the, you know, the idea of, of reverence or, or, and, or, or the, literally uses the word awe. But, but there was just a prevailing sense of amazement among the people. They, they were amazed at what God had done in Christ. They were amazed at what God had done in them. They were amazed at what was happening every single day. And they were just in awe of God. They just lived their lives with a sense of, I can't believe this. This is incredible. So there's a sense of awe. Clearly, the passage also teaches that there was a great sense of togetherness. You know, it says here that all the believers were together. And we looked at this back in chapter 1, the word together here from the Greek. It's really kind of hard for us to bring it forward into, into, um, into, the, into, into the English language because we could say we're all together this morning, right? But that, that doesn't really convey the sense that this Greek word has. It means that they were together and they were of all of one mind. There was a sense of unity. There was a connection among them. And so, you know, one of the characteristics was this sense of community that developed. They were together. They were united. They cared for one another. They enjoyed being together. They were eating meals together day by day, celebrating the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. You know, they were caring for one another as, they, as needs developed within inside the body. And, and they were just together. There was unity. It was community. This was a great, brand new family to be a part of. Okay? Then there was worship. This would make some of us happy. Some of us, we say, oh, i got to do worship today, and we go, kind of go home. It's ready to get that off, check it off our to-do list. But they were just marked by worship. They, they, every single day, they got together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were listening to what God was saying to them through the teaching of the apostles. They didn't have a New Testament yet, right? This wasn't like stay at home and just read my own passage Sunday. This was every single day they went to get their daily bread, all right, from the apostles. And, and as they were together, they were celebrating God. There was a spirit of joy and of, and, and of worship that emerged among them. And they were in the temple, and they were, we're going to read later in chapter 4, that they enjoyed the favor of the people. People didn't want to have much to do with them because what was God was doing was kind of scary, but they, 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 they were impressive. And there's a spirit of worship that just flowed out of their commitment to God. Then lastly, there was growth. Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now listen, some people will tell you God's not interested in numbers. Baloney. God is interested in numbers. He, it's, you know, so we, we just want to have a, a deep, spiritual, high-quality fellowship. You know, we're not worried about growth. Baloney. God is interested in reaching the world for Christ. You know, and he, he, he cares about numbers. And so here you see the, the body there. Their heart is beating with the heart of God. And as the outflow of that, they're sharing their faith and people are coming to know Christ. That's what the church was like. Now let's back up and look at it through just a little different angle. Through my angle. Maybe better, maybe worse, but... When you... 
back up and you look at the whole dynamic of what's going on in this community, what you'll see is that they just had a craving for more of God. They had this insatiable appetite for more of God. And and it just jumps out of you in so many different characteristics. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching every single day. Let's not be late. I don't want to miss any of the teaching. Let's get there. You know, forget about curling your hair. Let's get there. You know, they, they, they didn't want to miss any of it. They had a craving for more of God. Getting together with God's people. Celebrating what God had done in, the, in their lives by breaking bread. And that's generally understood to be a, a reference to celebrating the Lord's Supper in small communities as they enjoyed a meal together. They, they, they craved more of God. Every single day, they gathered in the temple. Later, we're going to see, and in the city, they gathered in Solomon's portico, a place where there was constantly teaching going on. But they, they craved God. You know, and as I was... Literally making that note this week, I was saying to myself, do I really crave God? Do I really crave more of God? Secondly, these people, and, and again, this is, this is the kind of language that speaks to me. I don't know if it's going to speak to you, but, but when you looked at the people of God, God's fingerprints were all over them. His fingerprints were all over them. Miracles taking place. Signs and wonders, which is Luke's terminology. They all point to God and what God's doing and the greatness of God and the activity of God, but the fingerprints of God were all over them. You know, they they met together. They became a brand new community together. They were God's children. So they were a brand new family and they were acting like it, even though there were thousands of them because they had the fingerprints of God all over them. And then you see them here that the as some of the needs got pretty significant and the church didn't have enough resources, people would go out and they, they'd, they'd sell their beach house, you know, or they'd sell their, that extra piece of land or whatever, and they'd bring the proceeds in, you know, or, or they'd sell that third car, you know, or their toy motorcycle, a little conviction there this week, you know, and they'd, and they'd sell and they'd bring the proceeds in and, and give them, to, 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 you know, to, to the church to, to meet the needs. And, and, and it, it, the fingerprints of God, because God loves to lavish his grace and his compassion on people. And that's what the church was doing. And so you see the, you see the fingerprints of God all over them. They craved God. They, 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 bore the, they bore evidence of the presence of God within them. And then they just celebrated the presence of God. You know, the, the miracles are taking place and... They're, re- they're remembering the forgiveness that they've experienced for their sins, which a part of that was literally killing God. And they can still remember that. I mean, it's just something that happened a few months ago, you know, kind of idea. And, and they are just celebrating God every single day. There's just this prevailing sense of celebration of the presence of God in their lives. You know, and again, some, some days of conviction, you know, where, where you know, there's sometimes we can go days without even hardly thinking about God, let alone celebrating God and the presence of God within them. But they were just, mar- man, they couldn't help but just, just celebrate God. And then lastly, you know, one of the things I see in here is that they, they were reflecting the magnetism of God. You know, and, you know, we saw it, it in take one, it was they were growing numerically. But in take two, you can hear the, the echo, and let me get the reference right here from, from John 12. 
where Jesus said to the disciples, you know, I, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. Well, guess what? In this community, Christ is being lifted up. And people are just being drawn. You know, when we do our exploring membership class, our discovering hope class, one of our values is of what we call um, authentic righteousness. Meaning that we think that if we live our faith correctly, and we have an authentic spiritual righteousness, it has this magnetism just to draw people to God. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't mean we need to offer up a, a verbal witness. We certainly do. But there's just something about our lives, the way we live our lives, the peace and the power and the security and the joy and the love and the hope and all that kind of stuff that's a part of it. It just draws people. And they say, what is it that you got? And that was happening here. Christ was being lifted up in their presence. And he was just drawing people. And they were growing like fire. This is what the church was about. Can you imagine being in a church where, where, you know, this went on for months and months and months? I mean, some of you could, who were around towards the beginning of Hope Chapel, you complained you don't know everybody. Imagine if the church grew by like 1,500 people every week. <laughs> imagine what that would be like, right? Like, I hate this. I don't know anybody, you know. I can't remember their name, you know. Every once in a while, I get a text from my wife, you know, or I'll text her saying, you know, we're out somewhere and we bump into somebody that we should know their name. It's like, do you remember their name? Is there, you know, you know is that kind of, you, you know, you guys can relate. I mean, you stand around the lobby sometimes and, and you're looking at somebody, you know their face, you say, I should know their name because we've met several times before. And because you can't remember it, you're like, you know, and you, just, you, know, you get that idea. Listen. This church was growing every single day, you know. All right, who of you have been members of the church since Thursday, okay? Who from Friday? There's just big crowds, you know, standing up. Because God's doing some special things. That's what the church was like. I got to tell you, I wish I could pastor a church like that. But I, in some ways, in being more reflective, I wish I had the spirituality be a pastor of a church like this. And that really leads to my so what portion of our message today. You know, we've been using this very in-depth, innovative outline for our movement through the book of Acts. What's the what and the so what from every text? (laughs) So what's the so what from this text? We understand what the church was like. We can see this. This wasn't a flash in the pan. This wasn't just for one week. This wasn't just because Billy Graham was in town and they got the big crowd together for a weekend or whatever. This was something that went on and on. It was who they were. So what's the so what for us? How how do these truths apply to us? You know, and there's probably lots of things that you could look at in this text, but I got to tell you, what struck me as I looked at this this week was that you and I, We'll never, ever experience this in a church. In fact, we're never even going to want this, desire this in a church until a couple of things happen to us. You know, many of you have some long history in churches. Some of the greatest pains that you've ever experienced in your life, the deepest hurt that you've ever experienced in your life, has come through being a part of a church family. 
That's sad. Churches are often known for the conflict that they're in. We have a church in Worcester that I'm aware of. That I mean, they've been in court in Worcester four different times in the last 15 years. Fighting about everything. And letting the judge make up his mind what he's going to do. Churches can be brutal places. Churches can be known as places that are just apathetic. We're going through the motions. Not a lot of life there. Not a lot of happening. They talk about big things, but nothing ever really gets done and nothing ever really happens. You know, and, and you start bringing all that stuff together. Instead of being a place that is loving, a place that marks by the, that's marked by unity and togetherness and love and compassion that bears the fingerprints of God, where there's a spirit of celebration, where there's just a, a magnetism that's drawing people to God, the reality is most of us have never experienced that in a body. And most of us are resigned ourselves to the fact that we never will. So how... Why is that? You know, I don't think that you and I will ever experience this kind of church. I don't even think you and I will have the heart to roll up our sleeves and let God use us to try to create this kind of church. Unless we do the two things that these folks did in this passage. And you see those in verse 41 and 42. They accepted the message, and they devoted themselves. They accepted the message, and they devoted themselves. And you, in order for you and I to experience, to even desire, to be able to be a part of the pieces that God uses to create this kind of a church that really is a reflection of the way that faith is supposed to be, we have to accept the truth. And we've got to devote ourselves to the truth. Now, this word accept. Again, you know, the Bible was written in a different language. And trying to bring that word forward into English is, is difficult. Because some of your texts have the word accepted. Some of you have the word received. But for most of us, that's kind of a, a, a very surface level kind of thing. You know, we can, we can accept that 2 plus 2 is going to e- equals 4. You know, because we can see that. We take one apple, two apples, three apples, four. You know, we get, we get four, you know. Some of us have just accepted the fact that gas is never going to be below $3 a gallon ever again. Right? We just kind of resigned ourselves to it. Right? You know? It's, it's a fact of life. You can't change it. And a lot of those facts of life we don't really like. But we acknowledge that that's just the way things are. That's not what this word means at all. This word has this idea of, of taking it to heart. This is something that they welcomed, they grabbed on, they sucked it in, and they tried to make it a part of themselves as fast as they could. They, they sought up, they tried to own it. You, you, you know what this word means? If you illustrate it, you could go back to Matthew chapter 13. And, and there's a quick couple little parables that Jesus teaches in there, but they're more like metaphors. He says, you know, the kingdom of God's like this. Here's a guy, he's, he's digging around in a field, and he discovers there's a treasure buried in it. And that 
was actually something that would have happened. I mean, they didn't have banks and stuff. So a lot of times, if you had something that you really wanted to preserve, you went out to the big oak tree. You went, you know, 10 steps this way and 12 steps that way. And you found the big rock and you buried it. And that was your safe. That was your safety deposit box. But lo and behold, you got run over by the ox and the cart in the middle of the street. And nobody knew you had buried it there. So a decade later, it's still buried in the ground. Some guy's digging along and he, and he opens up. This is a, this is a fortune. So he buries it up real quick, and he goes back and says, I want to buy this field. Loan me everything you got. I want to buy this field. You know, what, what do we got to sell? And they run down to the pawn shop, and they sell everything that they got. And they run out, and he buys that field. Because it's got treasure in it. That's what's pictured in the word accepted. Jesus goes on to say, you know, that the, the kingdom of God is like a merchant who's seeking for fine pearls. And he finds the one pearl that's absolutely just perfect. And he says, i got to have this. And he goes and he sells everything he's got. And he purchases that pearl. That's the imagery that's behind this passage. This word accepted. It wasn't like they heard this message. Well, that sounds good. I, I, I certainly want to be forgiven my sins, and I don't want God to be mad at me because I, you know, I, I helped kill Jesus. You know, I mean, these, these people were struck to the heart, and with that, they accepted the message and they made it their own, and they sold out to it because they welcomed it into the core of who they are. You know, it comes with maybe the conviction that Peter evidenced back in John chapter six, where after a time when Jesus was was teaching some very difficult things, and, and people were just scratching their heads. And, you know, and a lot of guys said, you know what, I was pretty impressed with the miracles, and I like these stories that you were telling, this and that, but this kind of, I don't like it, and they just left. And Jesus turned to the disciples, and he said, you know, twelve said, are you guys going to leave too? And you know what Peter said? He said, Lord, where are we going to go? You're the only one who's got the words of life. You're the only one. That's accepting the message. Now, I try to ask myself, how can we tell if we've really accepted the message? And, and I just want to point you back up to verse 38. I think you and I can tell that we've accepted the message if our repentance holds water. See, repentance here is a commitment to change. It's going from one direction, going into another. Life without God directed by sin to a life that's directed by God, lived by faith in God. It's a change. And accepting the message leads to the fact that our repentance is permanent. It brings change that stays as change. You know, and I don't mean to be frivolous with this, but it may, may sound that way, but I don't really want to. But, you know, a lot, there, there are the, let me use this term, there are the, the Mees in the world, and they're the Tom Cooleys in the world. All right? Now, here's, here's why I say this, okay? I feel like I need to lose weight. Tom felt like he needed to lose weight. I've lost the same 10 pounds like six times. In the last three months, I put that 10 pounds back on. Tom lost weight, and he's kept it off. Tom accepted the message. He repented. I'm just keeping the dietitians employed, you know. You see the difference? When we accept, you and I aren't going to ever 
be in a position to experience, to desire, to be used of God, to create this until we've really accepted the message. And lastly, there's this sense of devotion to the truth. Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves. Now, I want you to see that this is self-originating. They devoted themselves. It's not like, well, Pastor Neil made me feel guilty enough, so now I'm actually going to read through the book of Acts. You know, or, you know what, my wife's been nagging me long enough, or my husband's been nagging me long enough, now I'm going to do... It's not that kind of idea. It's, it, it's, there's this deep inner desire for the truth. See, devotion has the idea of loyalty to it. And, and, there's, and, and when you think about devotion, biblically, it's, there's an intensity to it, but there's also a longevity to it. And, and the difference between being, having an intensity that doesn't last, that's just infatuation. That's not what they had. They had devotion. They had intensity that had longevity. And so month after month after month, they were still devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the Word. You know, listen. No one can guilt you enough to consistently get up a half hour to an hour early in the morning so you can spend some time in the Word. Nobody can guilt you enough or cajole you enough or try to sell you enough that at the end of a long day, you still rush through dinner and you pick up your, your Bible and you head out to a life group. N- nobody's going to be able to guilt you enough or control you or sell you long enough that, that as life gets really busy, you just, you're going to con- still consistently just make sure that you're in the house of God on a Sunday morning to hear the Word of God. It, that's something that has to come from within. And it has to be a devotion to the truth. And when you and I accept the truth and are devoted to the truth, we just have just, we're in a position where God can create this kind of community with us. That we can want it and we can experience it and we can see it happen. You know, the thing is, even though the church hardly ever is really the church the way it should be, the world is craving for that type of community. You may not see it in our society. You know, so people aren't interested in church. They're not interested in faith. Not, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I'll grant you that. But at a place where I don't even think they understand, the, the world really craves, the world really needs this type of community. And how do I say this from this text? Because when this kind of community existed, people flocked to it. They just flocked to it. A couple of questions for us to process this week. I know some of the life groups are using the sermons on Sunday mornings as their focus of discussion when they meet together. Just one of the good things about that, it keeps them in church on Sunday mornings, you know, cause, which is a good thing. Just, just a couple of questions. 
Can God create that kind of a church with you? Can God create this type of community with you? And will we together as the people of God known as Home Chapel be this kind of church? Because this is the way faith is supposed to be. Let's pray together. God, thanks, I think, for your teaching today. There's a lot here for us to absorb into our lives. God, I pray that your spirit would just take the truth now and just plant it deeply within. And Father, that we would have hearts that are ready to accept the message. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite our worship team to come. They're going to lead us in a time when we can kind of just solidify our responses to what God's taught us today. As we begin to sing, I invite our ushers to come forward and receive our offering. And you can place your connection cards in there as they go by. And Let's stand and sing to the God who's eager to create this kind of community among us.